This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for an offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, March 19th, 2020, and my guest is Andrew Edwards of Gear Live. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm super great. Uh, how are things going on your end? Well, I mean, I'm still a big fan of tech, but right now, being in Seattle in the hotbed of uh, everything that's going on, um, mostly just cooped up in the house, which is weird for me because, you know, in this industry that we're both in, there's usually a lot of travel. And so over the past few weeks, it's just been hunkering down in the house. So I'm getting a little bit stir crazy. You know, I feel exactly the same way. I'm kind of going nuts as well. I feel, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm such an extrovert and a traveler. You know, I'm not like one of those people who likes to hang out at the bar. So I'm not too worried about the bars being closed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But man, like all the travel being canceled after CS pretty much. And, you know, of course, we're still getting devices and stuff, but it's, uh, it's slow coming. And yes, it feels it's definitely rough. It's definitely rough. It's weird. And, um, you know, I, I'm more of an introvert. Um, I, you know, I obviously I do all the travel and everything. Um, but usually when I'm not traveling, I'm someone who doesn't mind staying at home, but it's just weird when, when you're told to stay at home, all of a sudden yeah, there's it's like, a wait, big difference. now I want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a tough time for everyone, yes. but as they say, the show must go on. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I've got you on today to talk about the, uh, Galaxy S20, because we both got review units, mm-hmm. and that's super exciting. Um, I want to kind of pick your brain and, and see what you think about it after, what, a week or something like that? Yeah, I've had, well, I've had the, let me see, I've had the S20 Ultra for maybe about um, three to four weeks now. Yeah, I figured um, that. They haven't the sent me early. one. They never did. So I'm kind of out of loop on that one. Although we talked about it on the show quite extensively. I had uh, a bunch of folks that have a device on the show. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's just interesting because I, so I got the Ultra as a review unit and then I personally purchased an S20 non-plus, non-ultra, just the regular entry level $1,000 S20. Got it. And what's interesting to me is I I like the S20 substantially more than I like the Ultra, which usually, you know, isn't the case when it comes to these things. Usually the one that's packed with features is the one that you'd want to have, especially if you're, you know, a big tech fan. But in this case, I feel like Samsung might've been a little too ambitious and didn't nail a lot of the features perfectly. Everything kind of feels a little bit half-baked. I don't know, on the Ultra, whereas on the the regular S20, everything feels great. Yeah, you know, that's the feeling I had too for my brief time with the Ultra and the other people that I've talked to that have the Ultra. My gut tells me now that I have the S20, it's so well-baked, you know. And, you know, a lot. it's still an expensive phone, $999, but I feel that for $999, this is, I would say, pretty much the best Android phone you can buy right now for $999, right? Yeah, I would. I mean, I would hope so for that. <laughs> you know, the thing is with these prices, it's interesting because, um, you know, two years ago, when Apple released the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus alongside a $1,000 for the first time iPhone 10 at the high end, people were furious that Apple would, would release a $1,000 phone, even though that was the high end. And now, two years later, $1,000 is the entry-level price point. 
not even the high end anymore. If you want to go high end, you're looking at $1,400 for the Ultra. Um, I would say, though, I would agree that the best $1,000 smartphone, well, actually, we, we both, before we started recording this, talked about how we just got in the LG V60 ThinQ. Yeah. I think that might be, even though it's not a thousand, it's eight hundred dollars. Are we supposed to talk about that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean, hey, this phone matches up pretty nicely with the Ultra. For but they never they the never price. shared the price on the V60. We don't know the price yet. They just did. We? No, they just released it. It was like oh, yesterday. They did. T-Mobile okay. announced pricing, seven ninety nine. Okay. For the phone with the case, and then I eight, presume. No, eight ninety nine if you want the case. Oh wow, that's actually much that's, more than I was expecting. You know. Then that's T-Mobile's pricing. So other carriers may have their own different thing. Because I know last time some carriers just included the case for free for a limited time. T-Mobile's not doing that, but. When you look at 5,000 milliamp hour battery, for example, um, the screen size is 0.1 inches smaller than the Ultra Samsung, but you're getting it for half the cost. I don't know. Like, you know, that for might me, be... look, I have issues with the V60 already. Like, I mean, I'm, and I'm just going on the on my hands-on experience because really I don't yeah. know what's under embargo at this point. So I'm just going to say what I recalled from my hands-on video. Okay. I feel like, look, I'm a big fan of LG. I'm particularly a big fan of their audio, like that quad dock and the headphone jack still there. Yes. All that is super awesome. I'm so on board with that. But I really feel like doing a 1080p display at that size for a flagship mm. phone that costs, I was thinking, I thought that phone was going to be 600, 700 with the case. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking eight, 900 with the case. I feel that they should have a better display than 1080p. That's starting to be, because of the size of the screen, some pretty big pixels. Now, I don't care. I don't notice my eyesight's not that great. But I know that people (laughs) who are spending that kind of money might see that. And then the other thing is, you know, no telephoto. I know it has a 64 or whatever it is, megapixel sensor. And it crops on that. But we know that is not really necessarily the way to go. Now, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And now that we have the phones, we can find out. But for sure, I feel like Samsung's with the S20, which is really what I'm kind of excited about here, is that they've kind of, I feel like, found a good balance of the features. Whereas the S20 Ultra, to me, I mean, I'm on board on the photography aspect. I think even though there are some challenges there with autofocus and others, we know, we all know the challenges the S20 Ultra has, I still Mm -hmm. feel like. It's a big freaking phone and not everybody wants a big freaking phone. And it's a very expensive freaking phone and everybody, nobody can really afford $1,400. I bought a Z Flip because, you Uh know, they only give us like a day with it. I mean, they didn't even give me the opportunity in the same way as they didn't give me an Ultra. So, I, I mean, you know, I don't have quite the numbers you do. So that's probably why. But the point is I went out and bought one. I returned it because I can't really afford to keep it. And that phone was really great, but I kept scratching my head and thinking to myself, man, every time I used it, I was like, this is amazing. I love it. It's the future. But then I was like, it's $1,400. It's $1,400. <laughs> and right. I feel like with the Ultra, I would feel the same way. I'm like, oh my God, look at this imaging. I can zoom in 30 times and it still looks great, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, but it's $1,400, right? Was right. the S20, like everything feels sorted about it. Everything works. Everything is there. Everything is right. Right. 
like even the small one, the S20 that you and I both have, mm-hmm. is like the battery life kills the, you know, and I'm not using it on 5G, granted, because I don't have a 5G. I unfortunately don't have Timo 5G NSF here. At my place in Portland, I do, but I'm stuck in SF right now for a while. Okay. Right? Uh, and then I have... AT, it would do AT&T, but my SIMs on AT&T are not provisioned for 5G. So obviously, if our V60, mine is an AT&T review unit, if it came with a SIM that's um, that's 5G, then I'm going to be able to test out the S20 with 5G on AT&T because I believe we have 850 megahertz 5G in, in SF. Um, okay. Like low band. But I mean, the bottom line is the S20 to me, you know, even I, with my camera madness and love for imaging, Right now, if I had to recommend to somebody, who, even somebody who loves photography and wanted to buy like a phone from a carrier that's well-supported, it's going to get updates, blah, blah, blah. They, they are, they're ready for an upgrade. They don't want to buy unlocked, blah, blah, blah. I would say buy an S20. Don't buy the Ultra. It's too much money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, I think it's just that. a tough sell. And you're right. With the V60 being, all, if you want the bigger screen, you can just buy the V60. And bigger battery. And bigger battery. It matches, yeah, it matches right. the battery of the yeah, Ultra. absolutely. Um, now, when you talked about imaging, now, I, you know, I would say, like, you know, for people who don't know me, I do anything that has that plugs into a wall or has a battery in it is fair game for me and my coverage. Um, but I would <laughs> say for me, when it comes to cameras, that's probably where I'm least knowledgeable. Right. Uh, like DSLRs and all like that's my I know how to, obviously I know how to work cameras and I do videos and I you know so I know how to use cameras but when it comes to like the different terminologies and optimizing things I'm usually asking other people for advice so what I guess my question for you is when you mentioned the fact that it doesn't have the telephoto talking about the LG V60, the V60. Um, if it's a 64 megapixel main sensor that crops in to a 16 megapixel telephoto isn't that a good thing because you're getting more light into so you're not getting more lens because because you're you're using that main sensor you're not getting the advantage of the binning of pixels four to one because you're okay you're you're cropping so you're, you're starting with a very large image and to zoom in it's like you're doing what you would do with an editor you're going in and you're, you're cropping so the pixel size is 0.8 micron meaning in low light it's really bad like it i mean mm. it's not i'm not sure it's going to be really bad because lg has a lot of experience with imaging and their algorithms for noise reduction are very solid but my gut tells me that you know the advantage of these large megapixel count sensors is that you can bin but you can't bin if you're cropping it's one or Got the it. other, right? So you can't bin four pixels into one and get 1.6 microns because if you did that and you cropped, you know, from 64, you divide by four, you'd be down to 16 megapixel. Right. But you'd be down to 16 megapixel. That's assuming the whole sensor, right? So now crop on that 16 megapixel. What's the end result? Okay. Crop three times, you get four megapixels maybe. So you can either get four megapixel with decent low light performance because you're binning the pixels or you're getting maybe 16 megapixels zoomed in three times, but then you're using 0.8 micron pixels. And that's my fear. And, you know, but here's the thing. Samsung's actually doing the same thing on the S20. Because remember, the S20 has three cameras. It has the 12 yes. megapixel main, which doesn't bin, but has massive 1.8 micron pixels, right? And 
it has a nice f-stop of f1.8 on the main lens. It's got OIS. And so that main camera is going to be just fine on the S20, and it certainly speaks for itself. But then mm. when you're zooming on the on the S20, it's using that 64 megapixel sensor and cropping. So it's actually doing what LG is doing. Oh, Right, so the telephoto on the S20 is actually not really a telephoto. It, I think the optics only zoom in 1.1 times. And then it uses the cropping to get the zoom. Of course, it's got OIS on it, but it's interesting. And also, you know how they use the 64 megapixel sensor on the, the S20? They use it for 8K video because you can't get 8K out of a 12 megapixel sensor. Right, right. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting strategy what they've done with S20. But, and, and again, I might eat my words with the V60. Maybe I'm wrong because when I've been using the telephoto on the S20, which as we know, does exactly what I said shouldn't be done, which is cropping, it looks good. Mm -hmm. So now I haven't done it at night. I've done it in daytime and it looks good. Now the OIS helps, but those small pixels, because you can't bin when you're, you know, when you're zooming in and cropping, I'm worried that we're going to see some issues with both the S20 and low light for the telephoto and the V60 and low light for the telephoto. But it's an interesting strategy because it's probably cheaper to crop a sensor that you can also use for 8K video than mm. it is to build a very complicated optical stack, right? Like a, an actual optical zoom. Like like the P30 Pro has, like the Oppo Find X2 Pro has, like the S20 Ultra has a folded lens. It mm -hmm. actually has a 5X optical. So on the S20 and S20 Plus, it's a 1.1X optical. And then they use the uh, 64 megapixels for cropping, which is a very interesting strategy. And then the third camera, of course, on the S20 is an ultra-wide 12 megapixel. But right. that's last year's sensor, so it actually has larger pixel sizes, which makes me pretty happy because if you look at the specs on the S20 camera, you know, it's not quite as outlandish as the S20 Ultra, which has really like kind of pie in the sky, crazy features, um, except for that telephoto, which is doing weird cropping. Everything else is really, really solid. And, and you've seen the, you've taken photos with it. You know, the results are pretty great. Absolutely. Right. So what's your take on, on using the S20? The S20 regular. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of what I want to focus on. It just on. feels like, it just feels like a good next gen phone. And I actually feel like um, when I say next gen, what I mean is, you know, every year we get a new smartphone from just about everyone. Right. And they, they make little, you know, little adjustments and little improvements here and there. Um, each year there's some, you know, two or three um, tentpole features that they kind of focus on, but it's usually you know, an ev evolutionary thing. And every few years you get something that's more revolutionary that, that I would consider to be like a true next generation. And that's what I kind of feel like Samsung did this year. And I'm, I think it's mostly though um, attributed to what Qualcomm has done with their latest processors, allowing Android phones to have, you know, for at least in my personal opinion, for the first time, very decent or even good to great video experience. That's number one. I've right. always needed to have an iPhone on me. I've iPhone, by the way, that's my, it's my phone of choice. I, I so use an iPhone leaving, 11 for all my videos. I know I, I bought yeah, it. So, so there you go. And just you, for and video, you, <laughs> you are more of someone who is an Android person than yeah. I am. And so by you saying that, what you're saying is the reason you carry this iPhone is because you don't feel that you could have relied on your Android device to give you great video. 
when you were out well, and about? Well, it's interesting that you say that because yes, that's that's the crux of it, the, the glut of the problem. But it's actually a combination of things. I feel like there are some Android phones that do very well, like the Galaxy phones in general, the, the S series and Note. I can rely on them to do B-roll for sure. Um, but it's the combination, right? When you're doing video, you need to, like some people record separate audio with a Zoom recorder or whatever. It right. really depends on your workflow. But for me, a lot of what I do is lav mic into the phone. And then when you start having, you look at Android, some phones don't support external mics. Some mm-hmm. phones do. Some phones don't have good stabilization. Some phones do. Some phones right. have low bit rates for the video recording and some phones don't. And the biggest issue is that, you know, I like to use manual controls. So you're going to say, well, then the, the LG series has manual video controls, but it's one phone and then I'd have to carry it around all the time. Right. And honestly, the results are not that great. But here's the kicker. There is this app called Filmic Pro that exists on both Android and mm-hmm. iOS. And it lets you do all the manual controls on any Android phone, on any iPhone. And guess what? It sucks on Android and it's great on iOS. I don't know why this app is not really that great. I, I paid for it on both and it's not really that great. Like, I think the Pixel does really good video, but the fact that I can't adjust, like on the native camera, I, can adjust, I cannot adjust white balance and, and lock the exposure is a uh-huh. real problem. But then if I use Filmic on the on the Pixel, it solves that because I now I can adjust the white balance and the exposure. But guess what? Something's weird with the video files it creates because Final Cut doesn't like them. Like mm. there's always some kind of weird issue in the first two or three seconds of the recording. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. There's no consistent experience that you can rely on. So I went to an iPhone 11. I used Filmic Pro on iOS. And guess what? It just works. Everything is great. I get files that are compatible with Final Cut. There's no weirdness. I can adjust white balance. I can adjust exposure. I can use, I can support external microphones and do manual volume control. And, you know, yes, the iPhone does better video overall, especially if you just mash the button on the native camera. But that's, I think there's a lot of Android phones that do pretty good video too. It's just that for my needs and your needs for professional creators, it's broken on Android. There's no consistent yeah. experience. Right. You, you need know? a phone that you can rely on. And that's if why I to went to shot. iPhone because an iPhone 11 is also only, what is it, $699? It's pretty damn cheap. And right. so, and it does 4K and it has Filmic Pro. Like, sign me up. That's all I use it for, really. Yeah. And so that's, for me, you know, that's one of the things I feel like, you know, for the first time this year, I feel like if I were, if someone handed me an S20, yeah. And said, this is the only phone you can use for the next 30 days or whatever it might be. And you need to use it for, you know, not just pictures, not, but also video. This is the first time where I would say to myself, okay, yeah, I'll get great video. I'll get great photos. This is totally fine. And in the past, even a year ago, I would, I would be worried. Um, I agree. I'd be worried about the, the quality that I'd get because I would, it's inconsistent. And now, you know, again, thanks to the Snapdragon 865, and what they've been able to do there for cameras, I feel like this is this is a true generational leap for Android. And you're going to be seeing, you know, the same thing on other Android devices this year as well that that use the 865. Um, that's the biggest thing for me is the camera improvements when it comes to video yeah. are are a huge leap forward. I agree. I feel for me, what I like about the S20 overall is, as I said, I feel it's the right S20 to buy. You know, unless you want a really big phone, then buy the S20 Plus. And, but then you're starting to get, you're starting to spend more money. And then 
I would say like then maybe maybe go all the way to the ultra because of the cameras and the, the thir- 30 times zoom. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 as soon as you get past the S20, you start having problems in terms of decision making, I feel. That's why I feel like the S20 is the one because also the size is perfect. It's about the same size as an iPhone 11, non-pro, mm-hmm. but it's narrower. So you can use it one-handed better. Um, and it has a massive battery still, has that awesome Snapdragon experience, the 865. Yep. It has 5G support now. It doesn't have it on millimeter wave for Verizon yet because they need to make a custom version. Uh, right. But the, the you know, for I think most people are going to benefit from 5G in the low band and the mid band, right? Because I agree. Uh, it, that's where I, I, I've used it in... I used Timo 600 megahertz 5G in in Portland and in in Hawaii when I was at Snapdragon Summit, and let mm-hmm. me tell you, it was only the, the uh, OnePlus 70 Pro McLaren, and let me tell you that yes, it's not much faster than LTE, but I was getting signal in places I wasn't getting LTE before, and and I was getting usable signal in basements like one megabits, three megabits, where I was you know no signal basically on F, on 4G. So that's yeah. kind of where low band 5G really pays off. And then if you're in a good signal area on 5G low band, you still get three 300 megabits, right? So now let me ask you this, yeah, for Snapdragon Summit because I, I didn't go to this last one, um, but the two previous ones, yeah, when we were inside of the presentation area where yeah. they did the keynotes. It was almost impossible to get signal in there yeah. the last two years. And so were you able year, to get signal in there? it solved the problem, yeah. Well, they actually had, an, they had a 600 megahertz base station in the hotel, like on the roof. So okay. So I think that just covered the entire hotel really nicely. Because that's the thing about 600 megahertz, and it goes through concrete, like, you know. It's right. like you, you can stick a base station in one place and it'll cover like a 10 square mile area or something, you know? Wow. So, yeah, because low low frequencies go far. You don't have to have as many cells. And so, as you know, the opposite of that is millimeter wave where the frequencies yes. are super high. And you pretty much need a, a you know, a, a cell every block, like every, every light line pole, of sight, every traffic light or whatever. And and it's it's like, I feel like, you know, you're getting this great, super fast, polished software experience you know i think one ui has gotten pretty good it's still not as good to me as like a OnePlus or a moto or a pixel because i'm a pure android fan mm-hmm. but i feel like for most people i think that's going to be good like people are going to be happy um and so the battery life is good you got 5g uh i mean really there's very little to complain about yeah there's, I, I really don't have uh, many complaints on my side either and I also agree, One UI, um, again, vast improvement over what it used to be. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling compromised with the Galaxy S20. And I'm curious how uh, the V60 is going to be because I, I just got mine, you know, maybe 20 minutes before you and I. It's funny, um, me too. Connected. Like, UPS just showed up like 20 minutes before we started recording this podcast on Thursday morning here. Uh, you're, you're in Seattle, right? So we're both on the same time zone. I'm in San Francisco. Um, yeah. So, you know, look, I think the other thing about the S20, I like, is I said, the imaging, the camera experience is solid. Um, as you said, video is really a big improvement, but I also feel Mm -hmm. that for the main lens, like that 12 megapixel with the massive 1.8 micron sensors is really delivering. Um, I'm really noticing an improvement over last year. Like this is, you know, I think an improvement that most people probably won't notice, but I mean, for somebody like me who like to really spend a lot of time on cameras, 
I'm seeing it, you know? And so yeah. it's, it's, it's cool. I think they've got a very well-rounded package. What I look for in a phone when I want to recommend it to the average person, like for myself, I'm always going to prioritize camera, right? But for the average person, I look at the display, you know, the battery life, the, the performance, the experience, the camera, everything has to be all together right. And I feel like Samsung really nailed it and for the money, like it's a lot of money, nine ninety nine, but it's it's you know the price people expect to pay for a flagship today, and I think the S twenty delivers. That the one hundred twenty hertz display is fantastic. I personally use it at ten eighty p, one hundred twenty, because ever since I got the one plus seven pro, and I've been able to go to ninety hertz, I haven't gone back. Like my <laughs> Pixel four XL is yep. pegged to one hundred to ninety hertz. Like I went into the developer settings, even though I'm losing battery life on it, I don't care. I was gonna say like that battery life. I don't care. Like once you use it, like I'm you know unless it's like I know I'm gonna be at CS all day or something, then I might be turning it down to sixty hertz because I need to conserve mm-hmm. battery. But for my average day, I go to sleep with 50 percent battery life left anyway, right? So right. I I got not on a Pixel, but like on a on a, a phone that has good battery life, like like yeah. the S twenty or like the, the the Huawei phones or whatever. And and I don't really need to to like sacrifice the 120 hertz experience. It's a little bit of a bummer that Samsung doesn't let you do both, like the 2K Quad HD plus the 120 hertz. You know which phone lets you do that? Uh, a phone I talked about last week on the show, the Oppo Find X2 Pro. I have one here and this one does... 2K plus 120 hertz without, I mean, it's got a really big battery, so wow. I'm not noticing too much of a battery drain on it. But yeah, that's, that, phone's a, that phone is the Galaxy S20 Ultra Killer. You know, I'm using the sensation, sensational, you know, title here because yeah. it, it's such a cliche <laughs> to say killer. It's basically a very similar camera system as what Samsung did in the S20 Ultra. And it's a 5G phone with a Snapdragon 865 with you know all every spec you can add to the you know 65 watt charging it's crazy mm-hmm. but it's a chinese phone i mean it's not officially available in the us you can buy it it actually works on at&t 5g um that's the theory because it supports the bands but you know at&t is kind of weird they want you to register the phones to get 5g on them so oh. i'm gonna try to figure out if i can make this oppo work on 5g at&t in the us because it supports the band. I talked to Sasha Segan, who is, as you know, the the godfather of 5G bands and compatibility, <laughs> right? And he said to me, yep, yep, those bands work. You should have zero issues. Um, so I'm going to try it. Crazy. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that is crazy. I, I didn't realize you had to register. Well, so that's you what can't I just hear. throw a I think, SIM in I think there. that if you want a plan that has 5G on AT&T, you need yeah. to have a 5G device with them. And they want the IMA, and that's how they enable it on your line. Oh, like you have to pay for a special plan first of all, right? You know, you can't just like I'm. If I have an AT and T card, then I'm already a 4G customer. Right. I, I I'm not gonna get 5G uh, by sticking my card in there. I need to call them and say put the right plan on there, and then they'll do that. But then I still won't get 5G until I say, oh, it's for a Galaxy S20. And then I'll say, give me the IMA, and then I'll do it, and then it'll work. And then if you take that SIM card out and put it into another 5 I don't know. Phone, so that's what I'm going to find work. out. That's why I'm really okay. excited about our V60 review unit. Because it's coming with 5G on AT&T with a SIM enabled, hopefully. 
and I'll be able to take that SIM out and stick it in the S20 here and see if it works on the mm-hmm. S20 or if I have to call AT&T and give them the IMA, right? And then right. if it works on that Oppo Find X2, then we have the first unlocked international phone in the world that works on AT&T 5G low band. That's a big deal, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we'll, we'll find out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, um, it's pretty cool. I think it's nice to see that we're also getting unlocked phones with 5G with the S20 and mm-hmm. that V60 obviously ours are AT&T devices. And I don't think is, did they announce, did LG announce that they were going to do an unlocked version? I don't think they have. Uh, they have not announced For the that, US. but I would assume. They would haven't assume in the past, were. you know. That's so, weird. Why not? Well, because, you know, they're always in bed with the carriers. I think the problem with LG, and this is why LG is going down in terms of a mobile player in the U.S., is that they are, their customer is not you and me and our listeners, our audience. Their customers is the carriers. Okay. They make everything for the carriers. They probably had the V60 with a dedicated telephoto and a 2K display when they showed it to the carriers. And the carriers just said, it's too expensive. And they said, mm, what can we <laughs> take out? And they took out the tele and they took out the 10, they went down to 1080p on the display and they went back to the carriers and said, how about this? And they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's better. Like, this is how LG still does business. And a lot of people say, but Miriam, you know, they don't have a choice because they're not a big player. They have to go by what the carriers are. No, I'm sorry, you don't. Look at OnePlus. OnePlus started in this country doing unlocked phones. And yes, they're in bed with Timo now, but they're not sacrificing their phones. They're not making their phones worse because they're on Timo. Right. Like, it's possible. LG just somehow lost the plot at some point. Like, they had a chance. Look, Samsung... And Apple somehow managed to convince, well, Apple certainly strong-handed the carriers into getting what mm-hmm. they want, strong-armed, I should say, the carriers. But, but Samsung makes unlocked 5G phones that work in the U.S., so what For gives? Sure. Like, um, even if Apple can make a phone that potentially will work on AT&T in the U.S., then surely LG can make it unlocked. But you're right, they have sold some phones unlocked here in the past, but I just don't think it happened recently. I don't even think you can get the G8X unlocked anywhere right now. And that's just okay. a 4G phone. Yeah, for sure. That's 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 interesting because I just feel like everybody makes an unlocked version of their phone. But no, I guess LG, no, no. Outlier. I mean, this is only recently that Samsung started selling unlocked phones in the US. Maybe only the, since the S6 or the S7. Like before that, it was all carriers all the time. I mean, you could always buy an imported one. Like you could go to eBay or Amazon and go to an importer that was a reliable one that would, you know, do warranty support for you and stuff. There's a bunch, you know that. But then at that point, why not buy a Chinese phone, right? Like, you know, one that supports like the Oppo supports all the Google stuff and it's not heavily skinned and it feels perfectly fine to use. Like, you know, sure, when are you going to get the updates or not? Well, Oppo is the same, essentially, umbrella, under the same umbrella as OnePlus. It's under the BBK group, right? BBK group is Oppo, Vivo, and OnePlus. So they share technology. So if you buy an Oppo phone, it's not like you're buying some weird brand. Like, you're buying one of the biggest phone makers in the world, like BBK right. group, right? So so I think, you know, the question always is with these a lot of these Chinese phones that they, they do work in the U.S. just fine. They have most of them, if you buy them from like Hong Kong or whatever, have GMS and the Google services and support Google apps. So you don't have to worry about that. The, the big question is always warranty, 
supports for US bands, and finally, updates. Do you get updates? Like, how often do you get updates? You know? Right. And it's getting way better, I think. Uh, and then now with this Oppo, we were looking at support for bands. Well, it has 5G on, on AT&T now. It doesn't have 5G on Timo, but that's 600 megahertz. It's a bit of an oddball. N71, the 600 megahertz 5G band, is really only used by Timo in the world, right? Whereas yes. N5, which is the AT&T 850 megahertz low band, 5G band, is used by a whole bunch of carriers in the world. So that's why this Oppo phone works, theoretically. Got to test that yeah. because of this IMA thing, right? So I don't know. I think it's interesting. And I think that, so, you know, you don't have to concern yourself with any of this. If you buy an S20, that's the beauty. If you buy an S20 unlocked, you're done. Like it just works on any carrier in the US. Um, right. Or low band, low and mid at the very least. Yeah. And, and I like that about it. So that's another major point for the S20. Honestly, last year's S10 wasn't my my slice of bread or my piece of cake or my whatever the expression is. <laughs> I like the S10e. That was the one that got me all excited because the mm -hmm. price was right and it had just the right combination of features. And yeah. it's a small phone. And I think for most people, that was the right buy. This year, they didn't make an affordable phone. So right. I feel the S20 carries that torch. But the S20 is so much more phone than the S10e was, or even the S10, S10 Plus. It is. So it is. I think that they, the 999 price is kind of justified here. Um, the, the Note 10 is another phone. If you're looking for a phone right now and you don't care about 5G and you want a Samsung phone, you know, and you just feel like maybe the S20 is not for me. Like, look at the Note 10 still, because the Note 10 was one of my favorite phones last year, the 10 Plus. Mm -hmm. That phone looks like the future. I don't know. Like, the S20, I like that it looks Samsung-y. It has less of the waterfall effect. <laughs> I like that it's more yes, flat. Which I appreciate, actually. Yeah, me too. But I feel like it's pretty boring looking, you know? Like, other than the one, I have the pink one, which is cool. But, like, you know, it. it I'm like... You look at the Note 10, though, or like something like the Mate 30 Pro, and you're like, whoa, this phone looks like yeah. out of this world, like, you know? And I feel like maybe consider that. Maybe consider a Note 10 or Note 10 Plus if you don't care about 5G. You want to save a bit of money and get a phone that is super solid all the way around. But yeah. other than that, you know, if you want the latest and greatest from Samsung right now, I feel like for 99% of the people out there, the S20 is the one to get. That's kind of my take after a week with it. I do agree. Um, and I, I do think it's unfortunate, though, that they didn't have a cheaper entry-level version. Like, obviously, Apple has the Pro line, but they still have a phone that you can buy right now with the same, you know, same processor, two out of the three main cameras, um, still a great display, still a fast phone, for $700. Yeah, where is that Galaxy S20e, right? Right. Yeah. I agree that's a bit that's a big of hole in their lineup. But then again, remember at CS they announced the uh, well just before CS, they announced the S10 Lite and the Note 10 Lite and they confused right. the crap out of us with the features yes. on those. Uh, because the Note has a headphone jack, but the S10 doesn't have a headphone jack on the on mm -hmm. that Lite versions. And it was all really weird. And I'm wondering if they're going to do an S20 Lite is basically what I'm saying. Um, and, and not wait till the holidays to do it, like actually do it like before the Note 20 comes out this summer, you know? So I don't know because you're right. That's the whole in their lineup because look, the iPhone 11, it's such a great phone for the money. It is so fantastic. 
Um, but it's $700. Samsung really doesn't have anything. You're going to say the A series and I'm like, meh. You know, what really Samsung has is last year's phones for $700. Yes. And, and people right. don't necessarily want last year's phones. So, and I think 5G is getting more and more important. I think that right now it's still a little early to get on the 5G train. But I think by fall, you know, if you don't buy a phone with 5G, I think you're going to start seeing mid-range phones, like $300 phones on uh, with 5G by then on, on prepaid carriers and stuff. And they're not going to, none of them are going to support millimeter wave. None of them are going to have Snapdragon 865. They're all going to have like Snapdragon 765 and or, you know, uh, the MediaTek chips that support 5G because those do low band and mid band, right? Right. So I think that's what we're going to see. And we're, we're not going to see uh, anything too radical, but I think low band really brings something to the table for the average customer. And if the carriers don't charge extra for 5G, uh, and that's a big if, but I think T-Mobile is definitely leading the way there. And, and that includes Metro by T-Mobile. I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing $300 prepaid phones sold on contract uh, that have, or sort of, I should say on subsidy, that have 5G built in and that are mid-range phones for that price. So I think that if you want to bulletproof yourself, you do want 5G, but you don't necessarily want it to be on 5G just yet if you buy that phone. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep, yeah. I agree. So I don't know. It's, um, it's an interesting world we live in. And I'm excited about it, but I'm also kind of like scratching my head, <laughs> you know, about do you want to buy the phone because it has 5G and you think you're going to get 5G? If you're going to keep that phone for two years, yeah. If you're only going to keep that phone for six months or a year, maybe you don't need to, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 not, a, it's not really a thing yet. I remember back when 4G LTE launched and HTC had the Thunderbolt and Samsung started flooding the market with different uh, LTE capable phones but 4g wasn't everywhere and not even on every carrier or some carriers would have like two or three cities in the nation and then when apple announced the iphone 5 um within one week i was getting press releases left and right from all the carriers we're gonna have 4g live this friday in you know these 40 different you know cities and so i i imagine 5G may take a similar turn. There, everyone's waiting for Apple to launch a 5G iPhone. And when they launch, when they announce a 5G iPhone, which will likely be this September, um, if, you know, if everything goes according to plan, then we're going to see, you know, press releases again. Hey, we're launching 5G in these various cities, um, you know, basically by the day that the iPhone comes out. Yeah. I think it was um, two days prior because I was going to switch from what was i on i was on at&t because they had the exclusive on the iphone for the, the first four years yeah and at&t here in seattle did not have lte right and so i was going to switch to verizon which did have lte and three days before the iphone came out they were at&t and others were announcing how they were launching lte in like 50 different metropolitan areas i remember that um yeah yeah and so i think it's going to be a similar scramble this year um to where we're gonna we're not really gonna see 5g at least low and mid bands um all over the place until apple announces a phone because they know that when apple announces a phone oh yeah in america at least talking about america when you walk around in here in this country you're gonna see a majority of iphones and if it's not an iphone it's gonna be a samsung device absolutely and and so they're waiting 
if you're buying a 5G phone now expecting to just get great 5G everywhere, you're going to be... I think you're going to be okay on T-Mobile. They have a really good coverage. Like, I was really impressed. Like, San Francisco itself somehow doesn't have it yet. But Mm -hmm. if you go across the bay in Oakland, even though officially Oakland doesn't have it, it'll light up on your phone. Interesting. So I wonder if it's the same here in Seattle. I'm going to give it a try. I think what I'm today. saying is that, you know, when Timo was saying they're rolling out low band 600 megahertz and N71 everywhere, they, they really are. Like, they are not messing around. Um, it's just that they're not really doing it in some markets where they know the density is really high. I think San Francisco is an example of that. Mm-hmm. But, like, as then, across the bay, just two miles away from here, uh, you know, in Oakland, we've got you've got it. It's there. Um, okay. It's just not officially there. Like... And I think that we're going to start seeing it roll out like this where, you know, they're going to play with it for six months in that location. And then one day they're going to make a press release. But when the press release comes out, it'll actually be live already. Like, you know, I'm saying people have been using it for a while already. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears quickly because we've already talked about this for 40 minutes. I want to talk (laughs) about these Apple announcements this week. There's been so much good stuff there. Absolutely. Um, You're a big Apple person. I know that. And uh, how do you feel about this new iPad? I think it's pretty dope. Man, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the new iPad. And I think there's this thing where whenever Apple announces something new, you know, maybe for me, if you're into Apple stuff, you're instantly excited. What is this? I need to have it. What's going on? Right. Um, so new iPad pro, Yep. New iPad Pro keyboard. That's what's got me the most excited. I mean, you know, it's nice that they made two new iPad Pros, two sizes, like before. Mm-hmm. But these now have better cameras and better processors and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, and I mean, we can get into the details. It's pretty cool. There's now an ultra-wide camera and a regular camera and a, yes. d- you know, crazy AR laser. LiDAR sensor. I mean, LiDAR, you know, thing. Yeah, exactly. That's all very cool. And then a faster process is very cool. But what's got me the most excited is this new keyboard case, the way it folds, and the trackpad. Finally, a yes. trackpad with a cursor. And I love how Apple is downplaying the cursor saying, oh, it's a little round thing like if your finger was on the screen. And I'm like, come on, guys. You finally gave the iPad a cursor like a desktop computer. I think it's cool. Yeah. I think it's necessary. Well, well the, the other cool thing, um, well, first I'll talk about the one, the one ne- not, not really a negative, but the one, you know, if you're going from generation to generation, the iPad Pro has always been like an 18-month release schedule rather than a 12 month release schedule so every year and a half yeah you get a new ipad pro the processor they're calling it an a12z um and the last ipad pro had the a12x so you're not even getting an a13 or a14 that's interesting right a12 but it's an a12z which has more processor cores on it than the last one did um but it's not a new generation it's just a it's just like a better version of an older generation chip if that makes sense yeah it's like extra cores and slightly beefy yeah yeah but and that's not to say that it's a bad thing because even today if you use the 2018 ipad pro that thing is fast so you're getting something that's that's improved um but on that keyboard the cool thing to me that stuck out besides besides the trackpad which is obviously a big shift for ios is that the the keyboard itself has a usb-c port on it yeah so how does it work does it does it now have two USB-C ports that you can use? So the iPad Pro itself has a USB-C. Right. And if you were using the current 
available today keyboard. If you want to charge yeah, your iPad, I know you can't. You have to plug it in. Right. No, you have to plug it in because, and then like you have this this cord dangling from the middle of, the of your iPad, of the, uh, which yeah, is yeah. weird. So now you can plug it into the keyboard, and it'll actually charge. Yeah, through the pins. The iPad, but I'm wondering, can you also still use the port on the side and plug in a USB thumb drive at the same time as yes, you're charging through on the, the keyboard? Yes, you can. Ah, so it's so that two makes ports, it more like a computer. It's two ports. One of them is is a charging only port. That's exactly. very cool. You exactly. know, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, look, I've never been an iPad fan. I get it. I think it's very important. I think it's a fantastic platform. You know, people. Uh, I know people like that, uh, like Harry McCracken at Fast Company, who use it as their main computer to as tech journalists as writers right like i get it but it's not for me because i'm so used to the desktop paradigm but i'm starting to think that the changes they've slowly been making with like USB-C, with now support for mass storage on USB-C, you know that was last year with now this trackpad and cursor um i yep. think that they're getting more and more in a place where those of us who've been resisting the ipad because for me, it's not that I don't like the iPad, but every time I try to write on one, mm -hmm. my habits of like, you know, using, having a trackpad, using the, yeah. the copy paste and all that has been resolved now. But all these things for a long time, it took a while for them to come, you know? And I'm still not 100% sold on iPad multitasking. Like I know it's gotten way better, but it still mm -hmm. doesn't hold a candle in my opinion to Mac multitasking. And so oh, for sure. I'm wondering like, I don't think they're going to merge the two ever because, you know, Apple's very clear about that. They want to create the, you know, it's a touch experience first and right. then a desktop experience first on the Mac line and they're going to keep them separated, right? But I think there's more and more carryover and blending between the two. And I think that's actually a positive thing because if you've ever used a Windows 10 uh, Surface device, you mm. know how the two can live together actually relatively well. Like, you know, I, I feel Microsoft has done a really good job with Windows 10 and Surface, showing yeah. that you can make a viable tablet that can both be a touch device and then you convert it into something that is a real computer. Now, that's not quite what we have with the iPad here, but I think it steps in the right direction. And I'm super excited that this keyboard case, not only does it have a USB port and a trackpad, but it has scissor keys. Yes, like backlit, real keys. Backlit, real scissor keys. Like that previous case they had, I was like, what the hell were you thinking, Apple? Are you serious? Like <laughs> Logitech and Bridge make better cases and keyboards all the time. When are you going to make a native case and keyboard that kicks ass? And look at it. They basically copied Microsoft. It. Like, you know, I mean, I know the, the way it folds is different. Uh, it's actually really cool. But I feel like if you look at the keyboard and trackpad and the backlight and the scissor keys and all that, that's very much like a Surface keyboard, like from the Surface tablets, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that needs to be said here um, that I have to give kudos to Apple for, usually when Apple releases something new like this, the keyboard, the mouse and cursor supports, etc., usually it's reserved for the new product, for the new generation, right? But this works product. on the old iPads now too. The, yes, the so the tr so the the keyboard will work on the current iPad Pro. If you already have one, you don't need to buy a new one. But also, the the trackpad and cursor support works on any iPad that can run iOS or iPad OS thirteen point four. So it doesn't even need to be an iPad Pro. You can connect a Bluetooth trackpad, a Bluetooth mouse 
to any iPad. You don't need to be using Apple's keyboard and it will still give you and that that's same cursor super exciting. experience. You can use Bluetooth, you can use USB. That's right. I think that's very cool. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing I want to add to that is that the price, entry price for the 11 inch, the smaller, the iPad Pro 799, which I think is pretty good. Yes. And then the, key, the keyboards are expensive though. It's like what, 249 or something? Yeah, I think it's 249 for the 11 inch and 299 for the 12.9 inch. So let's get a little pricey because at that point, here's my segue. Are you ready for it? At that point, <laughs> you might as well look at buying the new 999 MacBook Air, oh, which is, is mm -hmm. oh my God. Like, look, my Apple love story has always been about the Mac. Don't get me wrong. I think the iPads and, you know, I clearly use an iPhone 11. I love their f mobile hardware as well. And so I'm not as big of a fan of their mobile software, iOS and iPad OS, but uh -huh. it's, it's, you know, it's getting there with the trackpad and all that. But what I'm trying to say here is that for a Mac user like me, there's been so many stumbles and fumbles in the Mac lineup, particularly yeah. the, the portable Mac lineup for the last five years, that I feel mm. that we're finally returning to nice, steady, reliable, we can count on you, Apple. You know, with the 16-inch <laughs> MacBook Pro first and now this. When they updated the MacBook Air to be you know, retina display and USB type C, what, 18 yep. months ago or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you know, they kept the, they kept the stupid, uh, butterfly keys and, right. and the, the processors in them were these old Intel processors and they weren't really like, if you watch, you know, uh, Dave 2D on YouTube, you know that there were some issues with these processors. They weren't like, yeah. they were fine for the average person being on the web using their MacBook Air like a netbook or like a Chromebook. But for right. people like us who sometimes do video editing and other stuff, you really needed to go the pro route. Well, I feel that they've solved this problem with the new Air. Not only is it cheaper, it now comes with eight gigs of RAM base and 120 gigs of storage. Sorry, 256, mm -hmm. that's the thing. It was always 128 and now it's 256. Not only that, but they've got the scissor keyboard, like from the MacBook Pro 16. Yep. And 10th gen Intel processors. For the price, folks, if you're looking for a Mac, if you've been holding back to buy and upgrade your MacBook, this is it. Go now. Go now. Because 18 months from now, it's going to be before you get another one. And right. you don't want to buy the most people. I don't recommend the pros to most people. Unless you're video editing all day, you don't need a pro. So if you're a Mac user, this is your day. This is exciting. Go get yourself a MacBook Air. I'm really thinking about it because even though right now it's a little rough with this the virus, you know, I'm kind of trying <laughs> to figure out where my finances are going in general. But I'm just mm -hmm. like, I have a Mac. I'm still running a 12-inch MacBook as my mobile computer, you know, wow. the original. And it's fine. It still works like a charm. It's a little slow, but I'm, it's okay. But I'm just like, now that there is this, you know, scissor key 999 10th gen MacBook that at the base level has at least the specs I expect. Eight gigs is a minimum for me on Mac and 256 yeah. is absolutely a minimum. I can't do 128. But I 1299 gets you a 512 gig version if you want more storage or a 16 gig mm. version of RAM if you want more RAM. Not both though. But my point is you can still spend more money. I think 1499 to get both 16 gigs and 512 gigs. So you can, this is a highly configurable Mac. In fact, you can cool. go all the way up to two terabytes. You can go two terabytes I know, on a MacBook, on a MacBook Air. If you want Air to. It's crazy. I mean, Incredible. look, the reality is I'm super stoked. Finally, a computer, a MacBook that I can he like recommend to you know the entry level user without without any hesitation because the MacBook 16, the the Pro, 
I've been recommending that to my pro friends since it came out. I was like, okay, this is it. Like in the same way I said, this is your time has come. Go buy a new MacBook right. Air. I used to, when the 16 came out, I said, this is it. Your time is go, you know, go out and buy a MacBook Pro 16 if you're a pro, right? Uh, right. And we know a lot of people that we know, like, you know, Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher, they all switched to the 16 uh, mm-hmm. MacBook Pro and, and rightfully so. So I think this is good news from Apple. No signs of the iPhone 9 or SE2, though, huh? So the one thing with the iPhone 9 or the iPhone SE2, we've been calling it the iPhone SE2 for a long time. Um, And I think that indicates people are hoping to see another tiny iPhone 5-esque. No, it's not going to be that What I think Apple's trying to do is rather than give you a tiny phone, which is what I think people envision when I think SE, uh, tiny phone, what they what they want to do is continue to offer to people um, a home button experience. I know so many people who don't want to upgrade their iPhone because they still yeah. want to hang on to that home button. You know who, who, that is my spouse. My spouse has an SE, loves the size, really? and doesn't want to give up the fingerprint sensor and the home button. Yeah. I'm in that boat. So we're so looking we're looking hard for that nine. They they played with the six and six S and seven and eight. So they like they can handle the four point seven inch size, like the slightly bigger mm-hmm. size. They they're okay with that. But you know, they want their uh, home button and they want their fingerprint sensor. And so if that iPhone nine delivers the same specs as an iPhone eleven, maybe without the ultra wide, and you know, Costs like three ninety nine or four hundred or something, and yeah. comes with still has the kind of the old iPhone experience. I think Apple's going to sell hotcakes of these. So many of them. I know. So I think it's smart for them to listen to their customers. I'm looking forward to that phone for sure. We got a few couple of topics that are left. I want to kind of go through them real quick with you and kind of want to get you feel like it's it's kind of some interesting news. You've seen the Pixel 5 leaks, more Pixel 5 leaks. Yeah. About it not being flagship specs. So what you what's your take on that? I kind of feel that it's the right move. Like I never really feel like the Pixel uh the main line of the Pixel, not the A, has being really flagship worthy they seem to always hit the mark so like make it slightly cheaper and put a slightly cheaper chip in there like call let's call it a day i'm fine with that i 100 percent agree with that um especially when it came to the pixel 4 i was i was honestly shocked that at how disappointed i was i was so disappointed me too because i was excited for it and then when it came and i started using it i was just like it doesn't really feel much much better then my Pixel 3, and in fact, when it comes to battery life, it's it's worse. Like, why? Who who can I recommend this phone to? No, I know. I don't know. We've talked about this on the show so much that a lot of people just are very disappointed with the 4. The 4A looks really exciting from the leaks and rumors. And so this 5, the whole theory here is that they're going to go Snapdragon 765 instead of, Mm -hmm. you know, 865. And uh, yeah, so, and, and it might not have... It might still just have two cameras, a regular and a, and a telephoto and no ultra wide, which I think is a, is a mistake. I, I personally feel that the ultra wide yeah. is the one to have if you have two. If you, Ideally, you want all three, but if you want to just have two, I think ultra wide and regular is the way to go. I agree. Some people agree. don't agree. I know actually quite a few journalists who feel that the telephoto is more important. Uh, I'm not in that boat. So <laughs> It's so much easier, though, to take two steps forward 
to get you know to get that same look that you would get from a telephoto than it is to to run back you know 20 totally. feet most of the time to you get that similar ultra wide yeah exactly. exactly that's the whole point you you know and then the the modern sensors and lenses have gotten so good that you can at least get 2x photo, telephoto out of a regular lens right now like a, yeah. a standard like if you look on the iphone 11 that has a 12 megapixel normal camera if you zoom in two times on that you're not losing much quality like it's really solid Right. Right. And same with the Pixel 4. The Pixel 4's telephoto has that really cool super zoom feature where it uses your handshake to, you know, all the multiple captures basically get extrapolated and you get sub-pixel interpolation. It's complicated technology. It's basically computational photography to give you a better zoom experience uh, at up to 4 or 5x. And it pays. Like, the, the zoom works really well on the 4. Um, so, I, I feel like you could give up that stuff, keep you know, keep the main lens going, and then you have a neutral yeah. wide, and that's kind of what I'm hoping they they're gonna do next year, or I maybe have three. Like you know, you see, there's a lot of five hundred dollar phones with three lenses now. Like I don't think it's that yeah. much of a stretch to ask, you know, the Pixel Five, even if it as doesn't end up being fully a flagship anymore, to have three cameras. So we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. Yeah, the thing with Google that they really excel at anyway is the software yeah like, exactly. what is the google assistant going to be able to do on the pixel 5 that it doesn't do previously yeah. like i think it's more if, if they focus on here is the google phone and the google phone is all about google software and what we can do differently than you get on any other device i think that's really their strength rather than trying to compete at the hardware level because they haven't really been able to do it all that well yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think Google lives in their own bubble right now and they need to burst out of their bubble and realize that the the phone market, if they want to play in it, they need to reevaluate their priorities and play along with the, you know, the same game as everyone else. Apple was kind of doing that for a while and they burst out of that bubble and the iPhone 11 is what we got and it nails it. Like if, yeah. if Apple ever made an iPhone that really nailed it, it's the 11 series, in my opinion. Like, honestly, I felt that the generation before the the, the 10s and the the 10r I thought was a pretty solid phone, but the 10s was like, are you out of touch with reality, Apple? Like, what are you making here? Like, it's just an evolution. It's boring. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't deliver like video on the on the 10s compared to video on the on the 11. Man, like night and day, I feel like it's just it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like they really nailed the 11. I hope they do the same with the 12. And Google's got to get there. Google's got to get to a point where they get their S together, you know, and <laughs> and make a phone that is worthy of calling a phone. Like the 3A last year was that phone, but the problem is it looked so old, right? Because of all the bezels and stuff. Like yeah. Yeah. that 4A has got me really excited, the Pixel 4A, because it the leaks we've seen so far, it looks modern. It looks up, like it looks contemporary, right? And it has all the balance of all the right features, you know, for the price. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the 4A more than I'm looking forward to the 5 right now, which tells you something. It's pretty sad for somebody who has had a Pixel or a Nexus as their main phone forever, right? Like, yep. like if, if Google's continue alienating their main audience, I don't know, like, it's like, and, and not only that, but I don't think they're making the right decisions, not just for their main audience, but for the average consumer who might consider buying a Pixel. Yeah. You know, like when you see what the Galaxy S20 delivers at $999 right now, and you can, you put next to it a, a Pixel 4 XL uh, that costs what? 
799 or something you're like forget it like not even the same league now you're gonna say they're six months apart now i get it but i'm just saying like the reality is that the pixel 4 and 4 xl are going to be sold until the pixel 5 comes out which is in october so of course like don't buy one is what i'm saying Mm -mm, (laughs) you know mm -mm. bait for the 4a if you're a pixel person and if you're not a Pixel person, you want a good Android phone, just buy yourself an S20 and call it a day. Or wait for the OnePlus 8 series, which will be sold by carriers in the US, at least Timo. And I think that phone might be pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, we don't know much about it. Or maybe that V60 after we play with it turns out to be pretty cool. I That's don't true. know. But That's true. The 8X was a little disappointing for me, so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but speaking of Samsung, the other news this week is... And I'm not sure what this means, but Samsung is supposedly working on a 150 megapixel sensor. And, you know, again, these megapixel numbers, don't, don't, don't worry too much about that because they're binning, right? So on the 108 right. megapixel of the Ultra, the S20 Ultra, they're binning 9 to 1, which is why, you know, 108 megapixel is outputting a 12 megapixel photo <gasps> in the end, right? Uh, so yeah. um, the more pixels you see like that, what it means is the sensors are getting larger and the pixel is staying small and they're binning. They're binning, you know, four to one, nine to one. And then on this 150 megapixel sensor, if, they, if it had been nine to one, they're down to 16 megapixels. Um, but there's going to be bigger sensors. I'm calling it now. We're going to see 200 megapixel. And these pixel, these sensors are going to bin 16 to one. That's the next logical step. Whether that's beneficial, I don't know. But computationally, it might be beneficial. Like... That's what I was going to ask you. Like, yeah. what, what is the point? Like, the more pixels you have, the more you can mess with the data. So if you can, like, if you have, like, you know, you look at an Alpha 7 camera, full frame, right? Yeah. Like, it has very large sensors and it has a lot of pixels, you know, but not quite as many as, a, it doesn't have more than 100. And you get the best of both worlds. You get large pixels, large sensor, right? Um, what they're doing here is more like large sensor but small pixels, and then because you have a lot of pixels, you throw a lot of computation at it, you throw a lot of number crunching to it, and you can use, you can leverage those pixels. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of the idea. That's interesting. Yeah, because I was just wondering, like, is, is, at what point does this become pointless to keep adding in megapixels? But it sounds like what you're saying is, in the world of computational photography, we're just giving more data. Yeah, you're algorithm. getting more data to play with. You can combine those pixels, 9 to 1, 16 to 1, 4 to 1. You can play with them. You can basically, you have, it's like silly putty. The sensor becomes very configurable, right? Whereas if you have a 12 megapixel sensor, every pixel is a certain size, there's not much you can do. The problem that in the past we didn't have the compute power, like this, the, pro, the chips and the phones couldn't handle more than 20 megapixels of data, but now they can handle like 200 megapixels of data. So let's throw 200 megapixels of data at the pipe and see what it can do with it. And that's mm-hmm. why we're seeing these numbers. So don't let the numbers fool you. The end result will always be like the sweet spot is 12 megapixel for camera, uh, for a still photo. For, from a phone, I'd say 16 mm-hmm. at most. And the, and we know 8K is becoming a thing, for better or for worse. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to uh, care about that personally, but some people <laughs> are. And so, you know, I think that these large pixel counts are going to be helping in that computational goal. Because it, it's only a matter of time till we see the dedicated camera start doing this. You know, because it's, it's the future. Imagine if you right. had the large sensors with large pixels and the kind of glass you have, you know, lenses you have on a, on a, like a dedicated 
a camera like a, a Sony Alpha full frame or even like a, uh, a Sony RX100, which is like the uh, point and shoot king, right? Like mm-hmm. imagine if you could do that computational photography with all that physical hardware, right? Right. Like, so it's only a matter of time till Canon, Nikon and Sony have to go in that direction for their real cameras. And, you know, it's like, like today you buy a Zoom recorder because you're a professional and you want to all record audio. You have a dedicated device for that. Dedicated cameras are not going to go away. Professionals are going to continue using them. But the average consumer is going to be all about their phone, right? In the same way as the average consumer gets a very good voice recording from their phone right now. So I think that's where we're going. Okay. So, yeah. Um... The last bit of news is really weird, and I want to close with this bit of news. A company by the name of Link, L-Y-N-C, uh, uh, again, there's going to be links to all the news bits in the show notes, so check it out. I'll link to it. It's a story from The Verge by Lauren Grush. Lauren actually covers the space side of of The Verge, not the phone okay. mobile side. and. So this company, Link, L-Y-N-K, it's a startup, and they're using satellites, get this, to send text messages to an unmodified Android phone from space. So this you is know, unheard of. Yeah, so we know there's a bunch like, of companies. It's, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, there's a bunch of companies right now, like including SpaceX, Elon Musk's company, working on Starlink, which is like a constellation of satellites, very much like GPS today is a constellation of satellites, like a whole bunch of satellites that give us positional information. We have, uh, you know, they're working on basically an internet from space uh, so that anywhere in the world you can get really good internet access, universal internet, very cheaply. That's what these constellation of satellites are designed to do and what Elon and his team and other companies, other startups are working on. But this startup is doing it with the idea that instead of having a special phone that the satellite talks to, mm-hmm. this talks to a regular Android phone and they were able to send and receive text messages from a regular Android phone to a satellite in the sky. Now, that's what's confusing me, because if you have an Android phone, Android device, you typically connect to Wi-Fi or you connect to a GSM. cell tower. Yeah. So how is your regular Android phone? So they're using, they're using GSM, right? Instead of like they're putting a SIM card in there, then instead of connecting to a T-Mobile cell tower or a, you know, AT&T cell tower, it's connecting mm. to a cell tower in a satellite above it. Wow. And so... They're using GSM, and I guess they're beamforming the GSM the signal, so it's really strong, but coming okay. from above instead of coming from the sides. And the phone is still seeing it because the phone SIM card is saying you can only register to this one network. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I see it. There it is, and then it connects to it. So, I mean, it's it's early days, so I I don't I'm sure there's going to be issues with. And this is just a text. They didn't do a voice call. They didn't do a data connection, okay. right? Like this is the text is the easiest to do. So. This is interesting because it means that they have a way to, you know, get enough signal down to the earth level right. that a phone can connect to it. But that signal is still coming from a cell tower a few miles away. It's coming from several miles up in the sky. Right. And I'm looking stuff. at their website right now. We're the only company that has launched a real satellite cell tower in space See? to test the ability to talk to standard mobile phones. It's crazy, Incredible. right? It is crazy. I mean, this is... Um, it's kind of similar to what Elon Musk wants to do with Starlink. Like, yeah, but, see, but Elon will, will require special phones for that. Like, you, right. it's a special radio with special radio waves, right? Yes. So this is just using your, your standard you got it. 
You got smartphone, it. Android smartphone. Um, wow. And so between this and the coronavirus, if there was any doubt that we're living in the <laughs> sci-fi future, not necessarily the good sci-fi future, but the sci-fi future, <laughs> this is proof of it, folks, right there. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, yes. Wow. Anyway, um, that's it for the topics. Andrew, do you want to tell people where on the internet they can find you? Sure. Um, the vast majority of my work these days is on YouTube. So that would be youtube.com slash gear live. Um, I also have gearlive.com and I have a weekly podcast called geared up that I do with John Rettinger. So you can just search for geared up in any podcast player. Yeah. And then Twitter, Instagram, any social I'm there as well. Andrew Edwards. Yeah. John's been on the show as well. So, uh, definitely listen to the podcast. Andrew's podcast that is and watch the YouTube channel and uh, check out gearlive.com there's some cool articles I checked it out yesterday again hadn't looked in a while so mm. yeah check it all out and folks you know where to find me I'm at tankgirl on Twitter and Instagram that's T-N-K-G-R-L uh, that's like Tank Girl, the comic book, but drop the vowels. And if you want to talk to me about this podcast, comment on the podcast, since there's no simple way of commenting on podcasts, please do it on Twitter. Talk to me there. Tell me what you think of what we talked about today. And if you are joining us for the first time, mobiletechpodcast.com. That's mobiletechpodcast.com. You'll be able to subscribe there with Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and even Spotify. So please join the party. And if you have the ability to rate and review the podcast in the platform you're using, not all platforms let you do that. But if you can, please review and you know rate us. It would really help. Uh, finally, there's a YouTube channel. Um, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast naturally and lots of videos there some unboxing some hands-on some reviews uh, i'm about to publish my galaxy z flip review so check that out you'll be able to find more stuff on that find x2 pro that we talked about from oppo so check it out subscribe to their youtube channel like uh, and all that good stuff. Tell your friends. Same with the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'd appreciate your help on that. I also want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible's been our sponsor pretty much since day one on the show. And they're a pretty awesome platform. If you like audiobooks, they're your destination. They're the place to go. Right now, I'm binging on the new Star Wars. It's finally out. The new Star Wars adaptation of the last movie into a audiobook and it's like nine hours long or something and if you really love listening to books instead of reading them for whatever reason maybe you're a delivery driver and you have to deliver packages all day and you cannot take your eyes off the road then you're probably listening to either podcasts or audiobooks so check out audible Here's the best part. You get a special deal. There's 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end. And if you do this, if you click through, you actually support the show, which is pretty exciting. So if you want to support me in this crazy time, please, please click through the link. audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Yes, and um, speaking of support, you can also support the show by making a donation through PayPal. There's a link in the show notes below. Any kind of help you can bring to the table certainly is welcome. So please consider donating through PayPal. Please consider joining Audible. You don't have to stay with them. Just clicking through and getting that 30-day free offer is good enough. So check out the show notes, audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. And that's it, folks. Thanks, Andrew, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. This was a good time. Yeah, we'll do it again. Maybe we should do something with you and John Rettiger sometime. That'd be kind of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Anyway, folks, we'll have another show next week, so stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.